Hi, it's episode 147, and today we're going to be exploring more perspectives in international parenting. I have an interview with a Mexican woman raising her children in the U.S., far away from her village. She's sharing more about her journey into motherhood. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Thanks for tuning in. This is Danae, and this is episode 147. And today I have an interview with my friend, Laura. Laura and I met several years ago when our husbands were in school together. And more recently, she's done some graphic design work for me. She and her family are from Mexico, but they're raising their children in Chicago. Laura's children are very close in age to my children, and I knew that her journey into motherhood was anything but smooth. And today she's sharing more about this. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. The sponsor for today is Zola. I recently learned about Zola this past year when both my brother and sister got married. Zola is an amazing resource that has free wedding websites and an all-in-one wedding registry. I love that Zola is helping new couples and new families get things that they really want and they really need. You can raise funds to go on your honeymoon, plan for a new puppy, new baby, and even register for an Airbnb. Zola will definitely make life easy for the newlyweds. So if you're already married, be sure to pass on the word. To start your free wedding website and get $50 off your registry on Zola, that's spelled Z-O-L-A, go to Zola.com forward slash simple. Again, to start your free wedding website and get $50 off your registry on Zola, that's Z-O-L-A, go to Zola.com forward slash simple. I sure wish I would have had something like this when I was getting married. Back to today's episode. In my chat today with Laura Amigo, she's going to share about what life has been like here for her in the U.S. She'll be the first to admit that she lived a very privileged life growing up in Mexico and also lives a very privileged life here in the U.S., but her journey into motherhood has been anything but easy. Laura's sharing a little bit about her view of the pressure that we put on American mothers to do everything and to be everywhere without a village. After giving birth to her first child, she suffered severe postpartum depression. She describes this period as feeling lonely and isolated, and most importantly, missing the key support network that she would have had had she been raising her kids at home in Mexico. Laura shares that after four years of being a stay-at-home mom due to tight restrictions on her visa, that she was finally able to go back to work this past year. And that transition has been life-changing for her too. I think you're going to enjoy hearing her story and hearing her perspective. And if you too started motherhood away from your village, this might resonate with you. Here's my conversation with Laura. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Hi, Danae. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm excited to hear more about you and your story. Tell me first, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Mexico City, which from my accent, you probably can't tell. <laughs> and that's that's a funny thing about me. Um, I didn't just grow up there. I actually lived there for 25 years. Um, so, you know, a lot of people get thrown off by 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 that because when I start speaking, it just you can't tell that I come right. from a different country. Right, you don't have country. an accent at all. Yes. So, yeah, so I grew up in Mexico City, born and raised, went to school there, um went to college there and then met my husband and my husband had the grand idea of coming to the United States 
to pursue his MBA, which is where we met, you and I. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So that's what brought us here um, to the U.S., which was supposed to be just like a, you know, a two-year thing. It was just supposed to be a life experience, like, you know, an educational experience for the both of us. Because while he was doing his MBA, I was pursuing an associate's degree in graphic design. It was kind of like a career shift for me at that moment. I used to work in film back in Mexico and I just wanted to do something different. And I always wanted to do graphic design. So I thought it was just a great moment in my life to kind of just pivot, you know? So, um, I guess it's funny because we never really had a plan to stay, like stay in the U.S. It was never our plan. But now we're eight years in and, and this is where we are. <laughs> so your husband ended up getting a job after he finished graduate school yes. and you all ended up staying and starting your family there, right? Exactly. So he got a job offer um, in that summer, you know, how business school works. It's you go for a year. And then in that summer, you get an internship and then hopefully um, a job offer after that. So he he got that and we decided to stay again for just a bit. We were like, well, we're already here. Why don't we just stay for a little bit and see how it is, you know, to live in the U.S., you know, because I feel like life as a student is very different than like, quote unquote, real life. So, yeah, we stayed. And then, you know, I had my first kid. And then I had my second kid <laughs> and, and, and now I finally went back to work and I started my own career, I guess, here in the U.S. So yeah, this is where we're at now. So tell me a little bit growing up in Mexico City, what was your perception of the U.S. and did you ever dream of moving here or think about moving here? What, how did you view the U.S. growing up? So I think my experience is a little bit different than most people in Mexico from what I've understood, because I come from an upper middle class family, and I had a lot of exposure to U.S. culture, specifically through TV, honestly, like TV and movies. So I grew up watching Friends and all these other, you know, 90s sitcoms and stuff. So I felt like I knew a little bit about, you know, U.S. pop culture. And also my parents were very big on us learning new languages. So I think the first time they sent me over to the U.S. for summer camp was when I was six years old, which to me right now sounds insane. Oh, wow. I know. I was on a plane by myself, <laughs> you know, and like six years old, two weeks, you know, in a summer camp in um, the Chesapeake Bay, you know, which sounds crazy to me. I don't know if I, I would do that now with my kids, but, and it was an, I think it was such a great experience because I really did get immersed, you know, not just in the language, but also in the culture, you know, of like a summer camp in the U.S. I was the only kid, well, me and my brother, we were the only kids at this camp that were not American. So, you know, it was quite the experience. And we kept going for several years after that. And so I think that my particular experience was unique in the sense that I did have a lot more interaction with U.S. culture. So I did look up to it. Like growing up, I remember thinking that the U.S. was like this amazing, like, you know, the grass is definitely greener over there. 
you know, everything works, everything is beautiful, everything is clean, people are so nice, you know, it was, I did see it like this amazing place, you know, and back in the 90s, when um, the the whole like uh, NAFTA treaty and whatever was going into effect and all that, we still didn't have a lot of the brands um, that you guys have, right? So for me, coming to the US and shopping, I remember shopping was this amazing thing, like going to the Gap and getting jeans <laughs> at the Gap or whatever. You know, it's silly things that I look back on. And yeah, things that you probably saw on TV and yes. you got to live them in real life. It's funny that you mentioned Friends because our au pair who's from Poland, I feel like Friends was kind of her like whole life education on U.S. culture. <laughs> <laughs> like for Thanksgiving, I asked her and I, well, I asked her, I was like, you've had turkey, right? And she's like, well, not really, not like a whole turkey. She's like, but I've seen it on Friends. <laughs> Like, you know, the episode where is yes. it Chandler puts the turkey on his head. Um, but there's yeah. been so many references where she, where she's like, yeah, that's on Friends. And yeah. I'm not that much of a Friends watcher. I haven't seen all the episodes. But I know, like, I think it's made such a difference in her ability to acclimate to our culture as well, because mm-hmm. she understands a lot of the sarcasm and the jokes and the lingo. Yeah. And um, yeah, actually, when we were going to choose our second au pair, one of the questions that I asked her when hiring was, do you watch a lot of American TV? Because I actually... <laughs> viewed it as a positive thing because I think it's really made her transition here a little bit more natural. Um, yeah. S- sort of having a d- a multiple different perspectives and viewpoints aside from just a textbook education. Yes, I do think it weirdly enough does make a difference. But at the same time, even though I had I had that exposure, right? And and I also have to add my school, my elementary elementary school was a bilingual like American school, so I had that too, but even so, like once I moved here, I realized there was so many nuances and so many social rules and things that I had no idea about. Like you guys have holidays that I had no clue about and like you celebrate holidays a very specific way. <laughs> and we even have, ho- we even like make up holidays yes. and, and give them like, and claim they are of other countries like Cinco de Mayo. I know right? that was the funniest one. I'm like, what? what, what it, there, it's nothing to me. Cinco de Mayo, like make Mexican holidays. Yes. <laughs> I mean, any excuse to eat Mexican food is good in my opinion. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm with you on that for sure. Yeah. But yeah. So so yes, I think that only by living here I actually understood and learned what it what it actually is to be an American and to live in America, you know? So are you pursuing citizenship or do you have a green card? How does that work? So my whole visa thing, it's been a thing. But I will say I have the privilege of having a green card because most people can't get to that, right? So I started out with a student visa when I did my degree. And then from there, I had a one-year work permit that you get through the student visa. And then my objective was to get a job offer after that year so I could get a visa through sponsorship. But that didn't happen because I got pregnant. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go back to work right after I have my baby. And in America, you don't really give a lot of maternity leave. So that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so then I ended up just being on my husband's visa. But he had the type of visa where the spouse can't work. So that's kind of tricky. So I was basically just forced, quote unquote, 
to stay home with the kids for a while, for about four years until we had access to apply to a green card. And now we are there. So now I can work and now I feel way more stable in my, you know, immigration status in the U.S. Yeah. So when you were growing up, did your parents encourage you to move to the U.S. or was that ever discussed or that this was just something that happened that you could have, weren't expecting it, weren't hoping for it. It just kind of came about. So we were definitely not expecting it. I feel like, I mean, I mean, just, just to paint you a picture, like most of the people that I know from Mexico have not changed zip codes their entire life. Like they live and stay put in the same place, especially if you're from Mexico city, um, because it's like the center of the universe. If you're from there, like you know, the best colleges are there and the best jobs are there. And it is very centric. So most of my friends have not moved. Like if they move, they'll move for a year for a degree or something, you know, to study abroad, but they'll all come back. Like my mom has literally not changed zip codes her entire life. And that's crazy. That's very different from the U.S. So I feel that for my parents, um, they never, ever expected me to actually move to another country and stay there. Um, and it is still like a sore, it's still like an open wound, you know, um, even for me, it, it's still kind of a thing where I can see how much, how hard it is for them. Cause it's not just me. My brother also lives abroad. He lives in Vancouver, Canada. So, and you know, some of our friends joke with our parents, like, what did you do to your children that they both left you? <laughs> But I mean, to be honest, and that brings up a really good point yeah. because you're right. If they're always, if you're always used to staying in your zip code near, I assume all of your family members, mm-hmm. extended family members, for the most part, that's why you have this feeling of yes. a village and you're raising your kids within a village. And we don't, we definitely don't have that. No, And that is something that I'm very envious of, of all my friends that have stayed home and Um, now that we all, basically all of us have kids, you know, I talk to them a lot about this and they, not only do they have a village in terms of their parents and their in-laws and their extended families, they also have a village of people they can rely on. Kind of like you have an au pair. Imagine that, but everybody has a live-in person, um, basically, you know, everybody I know, at least, you know, for childcare. It's affordable, it's way much more, more affordable, affordable than it is here way, in the US. Way, way more affordable. And you really don't have to worry much about the menial things of like laundry and, you know, cooking and all those things because you probably also have somebody that helps you with that. Um, that is a, also a very common thing. It's either a live-in person, like a live-in um, housekeeper or somebody that comes like three times a week. So I see my friends and I I do feel like they have a lot more space to be mothers, you know, and to not just be mothers, but also pursue their personal lives because they have, they have a lot of time, (laughs) you know, they don't have to wash dishes or do laundry or, or, you know, bust the kids everywhere because, because they have a village, they, they, they have help. 
Right. And grandparents and aunts and uncles, and there's people there to support them. And it's interesting. So I went, my family and I went to Mexico City um, two two years ago when my daughter, mm-hmm. she was five months old, and we stayed with our friends there. And one of the things that I noticed, which is incredibly subtle, but I think very significant mm-hmm. also at the same time of this sense of a village is that when, okay, so here, this is an example. So like, say you and I are at the zoo together and mm-hmm. we have our kids with us and I'm, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm definitely going to say, Hey, Laura, can you keep an eye mm-hmm. on my kids? I'm going to run yeah. to the bathroom. Right. So we noticed that our friends, our Mexican friends didn't say that mm-hmm. they would just go to the bathroom. And it really stood out to me because I feel like I would yeah. never just go. I would never just, like, just go yeah. and not ask my friends to watch them. But it, it's just this implied, like, yeah. Our friends have our back. Like our friends are going to treat and look out for our kids just like their own. Like we don't even have to ask. It's just implied. And I, that felt really powerful to me that this like they just trusted and felt immediately inclined to believe that their people are going to treat their kids like their people too. Yes. Like that happens to me kind of on the inverse where Whenever I go to Mexico to visit, I have I have a cousin of mine who has two daughters that are teenagers and every single time I go, she's like, "Can your kids please, can your girls please stay over and have a sleepover?" And I'm like, "But they're 5 and 2. Like are you <laughs> ser- like we barely like they barely know you." And she's like, "Please, like we'd love to, you know?" And and the same with other like all my aunts and, and and cousins, they're always like, we will babysit just, you know, please, you know, and it's, it's real. Like they, you know, they don't mind that, that, and, and it's funny. Cause my, I guess now that I'm a mom and, and I've learned how to be a mom in the U S I'm very much more of a helicopter parent than I want to admit. And, and I realize this when I go to Mexico, because there's a way more like laissez faire, you know, like just, you know, let the kids be kids. Uh, they're not just on top of them all the time. And, and, and I'm sure that they'd be fine with letting their kids sleep over at like their cousin's house. They wouldn't think twice, but I'm like, but wait, you don't know my kid's bedtime routine, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what if, what would happen yeah. if I wasn't there to brush their top teeth, bottom teeth <laughs> yes. and the front of their teeth and then their tongue in that order? <laughs> yes. It's crazy. And, and I guess, for my mom, it's also been insane to see how, not insane, but it, it, I guess for my mom, it's been uh, very strange to see my kind of motherhood because her kind of motherhood was very different. You know, she was way more relaxed than I am, you know. Um, and it's the same with all my other friends. I noticed that things that really bother me, like for instance, um, the whole SIDS thing when they're infants, right? Here in the U.S., there is absolutely nothing on the crib. You know, you cannot put a single blanket in there. Total paranoia around this. And every single time that one of my friend's babies is born and they send a photo of the baby in the crib, I, I, you know, something, I I can't, like, I I can't see that photo because that crib, you know, there's, there's, you know, the bumper on there and they have, you know these gorgeous blankets draped over it. And there's a stuffed animal with the name embroidered. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, like, do they not know about SIDS? Like, what is this? <laughs> and it's funny because it, 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 it's, 
it, it's a cultural thing. And then also with the, with the car seats. And this is, this is my pet peeve. Like, I guess also with being in Chicago and the whole coat, you know, you can't put the coat on when they're in the car seat, blah, blah, blah. And like, it's been hammered into my brain, you know, and I'm, you know, it's like, it's a thing. You need to get it right. They need to be buckled perfectly. And, you know, and every time I see an Insta story or a photo or whatever of one of my friends and their kids are in the back seat and the kid is barely buckled, like maybe I've even seen photos where like even the top buckle isn't on and they're just like sitting in the car like whatever and they're like it's not that they're parked like they're actually like moving I can't it's like a thing that comes over me it's like what what is this like why isn't there car seat safety (laughs) and don't they love their children yes that's (laughs) literally it's like what but it's funny it's a thing like it's it's not that big of a deal and I've also learned to bite my tongue because at the beginning when I was a first time mom and I felt that I knew better, you know, I would go back and and I would hang out with my sister-in-law or anybody and, and they wouldn't buckle their kid right. And I was like, did you know, you know, that if you don't buckle you your they kid, thought you were a little crazy. Yeah. They think I'm, they think I'm this overprotective helicopter parent. And it's funny because if I compare myself to parents, I know here in my community in the US, I'm nowhere near, you know, where I could be. <laughs> right. And I had the same experience when I was in Mexico. I was only there for two weeks, but I definitely felt like a helicopter parent, totally. And I don't by any means consider myself one. But yeah. seeing how everyone learns to trust their kids and know the boundaries of their children without actually being quite literally on top of them all the time is pretty, pretty amazing. It's kind of, and this is kind of a weird comparison, but I remember years ago going to Paris and seeing dogs walking through the city without a leash. Mm -hmm. And I just wondering, you know, like they're just walking through the city without a leash. How do they know when to stop at the road? And like, how does this happen? You know, like how, and, but on some, in some ways, I think it's the same with our kids. Like when we start from an early age, giving them that space to discover boundaries for themselves mm-hmm. that they're so much more capable than we could ever imagine. Yeah. I also feel that there's a big difference when your village is made up of several adults and not just mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad or however, you know, parents, I guess. Um, and I feel that that's the case in Mexico. Like in Mexico, there's always going to be an adult there. Like there's multiple adults that can be there. You know, it's, it can be the nanny, it can be the grandma, it can be the mom, it can be the aunt, it could be, but there's always going to be somebody there, you know? And in the U S like I've felt that it all relies on the main caregiver. Like it all relied on me, you know, when I was the stay at home parent and that pressure was enormous and it was, so you can become very obsessive about it and very, also just anxious about that pressure, you know, because there is literally nobody else that you can rely on. Right. Tell me a little bit about your journey into motherhood, because I know you didn't have an easy time into it at all. Yeah, it was, it was rough. Um, so I think, okay. So when I had Sophia, um, there were a lot of factors that contributed to me having a very, very dark episode of postpartum depression. 
um, first of all, it was my first time being a mom and that's scary for everybody, but I was doing it in a country that wasn't my own. So there's something about having such a primal experience in a country that isn't yours. Um, you feel, for, at least for me, I felt like it wasn't like, I don't know how to describe it. It was, I, I felt very lost. I felt very lost in the whole experience because the lack of community of, of that community that I have back home was made very evident in that particular moment of vulnerability. So even though my parents came to help and my in-laws came to help, they were only here for a short amount of time. They were here for two weeks. And after that, I was, I felt like I was left to my own devices to figure out how to be a mom and how to be a mom in a country that isn't my own in a culture that even though I had been here already for about four years, still didn't feel like my own culturally. And I had to kind of figure it out all on my own. So, and also my husband at the time was working, well, not my husband at the time, my husband was working in management consulting at the time. And if, if there are any listeners out there with husbands in management consulting, I know you can relate. He was traveling from Monday through Thursday every single week. So I was left alone with a newborn. I had no idea what I was doing. And this was in the middle of winter in Chicago. And the polar vortex hit. And we were, I think it was negative 20 or something for weeks I couldn't leave the house. It was a disaster. So it was just the perfect storm for me to have a terrible, terrible episode of postpartum depression, which at the beginning, I didn't know what it was. I felt that this was just motherhood. I felt that having a newborn was just the hardest thing in the planet because my baby just would not stop crying I had no idea what to do. I had nobody to call. I had I had a few friends, but I don't know what it was about me that when I was pregnant, it never occurred to me that I actually needed to have friends who were moms <laughs> and not just friends who were, you know, my same age but weren't moms or were, you know, just working or whatever. I like it never occurred to me that I was going to need a village. I I you know, I had no idea. So when Sophia was born, I had I had nobody to really call and 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 help me through it. And my husband was traveling and my family wasn't there and it all just started snowballing from there. It got worse and worse and then breastfeeding was horrible. I had no idea how to do it. I had a very bad experience with a with a lactation consultant who just basically told me I needed to relax. And that is quite possibly going, the worst advice you could ever give worst. a human, right? Someone who's tense, you, just relax. It's that easy. Literally. Just relax. <laughs> Imagine that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm running on no sleep. I'm, I'm having the hardest time of my life dealing with basically just feeling completely alone in the world. My anxiety levels are through the roof. I'm obviously not producing enough milk because of this. And this lady comes to my house and she goes, you just need to relax. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, let me go do that. You know, give me a minute. I'm just going to go do that because it's so easy for me right now. <laughs> so 
it was just terrible. And then eventually, after a couple months of going through the worst time of my life and 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 starting to then get the really scary suicidal, I don't want to do this anymore. How can I get out of this kind of thoughts? And, and, you know, when I got to that point, I started saying like, okay, this isn't normal, but I hadn't found a way to actually tell anybody because, you know, my husband was at work all the time and I didn't, it's, it's funny how, I don't know why we do this, you know, as, as partners, as, as people, I didn't want to put the stress on him. Right. I, I thought that this was my thing. And, and I also, I had seen other American moms do this. You know, I had seen it I, I with their newborn babies and they look put together and I saw them on the street and I saw them everywhere. They were out and about and, and they also had to do laundry and they also had to cook and they also had to do all the things that I had to do and they weren't falling apart. So I was like, I can do this. You know, why can't I do this? You know, so I, I, I did not tell him about it because I, 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 it, it felt like I, I had to pull myself through it. Right. And, and so the thing that saved me quote unquote from things getting really, really bad was one day being trying to put Sophia to, down for a nap and she was crying. And I think I hadn't showered in like three days and I was still wearing my pajamas and this was like 3 PM and I, I was crying nonstop. And my mom tried to FaceTime me and I was going to decline her call, but I instead, um, by mistake, accepted the call. And as soon as the, the, the screen came on, it's my mom and my dad, and they're sitting down in Mexico City. And of course, you know, the day is beautiful there, the sunshine. And, <laughs> you know, you could see they're just sitting there having lunch at 3 p.m. And it's a gorgeous day out. And they, they look at me and I'm still in my pajamas. I'm crying my eyes out. I'm holding the baby. And their face was just like, what is going on? And, she, and my mom was like, what's happening? Are you okay? And that in that moment, I just let it all out. It was just like, I can't do this anymore. I have no idea what I'm doing. I feel like I want to kill myself. This is horrible. I feel so lost. I feel so alone. You know, it, it was such a big release. And I, this is one of my favorite moments of my entire life because my mom and my dad have always had my back. But this was one of the key moments where she literally said, either you get on a flight tomorrow and you come here or I get on a, on a flight and I go there. You pick. But you cannot be alone for a minute longer. And mind you, my mom works in that moment. She was like, it's my kid. She's going through a rough time and I'm, 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 I'm going to be there for her. So, well, and that secondary trauma up, she must've been feeling watching you in that oh, yes. situation for sure. Absolutely. Like we were both crying at this point, you know, we were both bawling and just being like, ah, you know, and, um, I just remember my dad sitting there very awkwardly, awkwardly, like, oh my God, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> but, um, but yes. Yeah, so then what, what I ended up doing was basically just packing a bag and moving to Mexico for a couple months to just get better. And I just remember the relief of just landing in Mexico and knowing, knowing that finally 
people were going to be there and, and just, you know, hold me, hold space for me, for, for, for what I was going through, you know, and have that community. And, and it made me, it gave me time to heal. It gave me time to find myself as a mom. So, you know, I, I got the help I needed. It gave me back my strength and, and it also gave me a chance to, to think of a plan because obviously my husband was a little worried that I would never come back to the U S after that. He was like, okay, okay, okay. We got to do this. We, we got to go to Mexico for a little bit, but are we going to come back? Oh, so your husband came too. Yeah. So what he ended up doing, which is, it's just crazy how life sometimes makes way for certain things or, or just things happen at the right moment because he, he was put on a project and I think, I believe it was Costa Rica. So what he would do was he would work in Costa Rica during the week and then he would fly back to Mexico during the weekends. So it worked out, which was fabulous. Um, but so what I ended up doing, cause, cause my husband, you know, by the end of these couple months, he was like, okay, I think it's time to go back. But you know, how can we make this work? And I said, look, I'm going to try it. I'm going to, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to give it my all, but I can't, I cannot guarantee that I'm going to like it, (laughs) but I am going to, I'm going to try this again. Okay. But I need to have a plan. And so my plan was to make friends, make mom friends. Like literally it was kind of like dating. It was like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to make mom friends. And that's going to be that's going to be my goal because I need to have a community. I've realized that I was missing something crucial. When I saw all these moms at Whole Foods and all these other places and they look put together, I wasn't realizing that these moms probably have a community. They probably have at least one or two friends that have kids, you know, that they can talk to. They can, you know, chat about like, oh, my baby's throwing up because of this. What should I do? You know, (laughs) just those simple things that you need to make yourself feel normal, that you're going through the same thing that everybody else is. So then I came back to Chicago and the first thing I did was enroll in a, in a baby class. And I met my best friend there and we've been friends since. And after that, I, I, I remember I went on this app called meetup I, back then. I didn't, I don't think it was even an uh, app. Yeah. That's where I found my first mom friends. Too. Yeah. And I looked for international yep. moms <laughs> And I made this really cool group and we were, one was from Australia. The other one was from New Zealand. The other one was from China. The other one was from, um, what was the other one from? I forget, but we all, we all did like this cute little group and we would hang out constantly. We would, we would hang out basically like two, three times a week. And it just changed my entire experience as a mom. So, you know, I feel like it's funny because now that I say it out loud, I realize that I don't think it's, I don't think it's a cultural thing that one country makes it easier or not. I think it's just the fact that I had not realized that I needed to actually make a community here versus in Mexico, you can, or, or the place that you're from, you just rely on the community that you have because you were born there, you know? It's built in. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about your journey from being a stay-at-home mom, sort of by default because you weren't legally allowed to work Mm -hmm. and back into the working world. So I think it has been the best decision of my life (laughs) 
wanted to go back to work because I was really scared. Um, I basically had to take a break, a forced break, right, for about four and a half years. And in that time, I tried to kind of freelance here and there, but it was hard. I, I, I will say that Americans have way more discipline than I do because you grow up doing chores and having responsibilities other than just being kids or being teenagers or whatever. Like, I feel like it's built into the way that you grow up to kind of know how to organize your day, right? I did not grow up this way. I was way too spoiled. I had help. So I never washed a dish. I never did laundry. I never, so I feel like my brain has a hard time organizing. I don't know. It it just has a, not organizing, but it has a hard time keeping up with all aspects, you know, being the mom and also the house and also the kids and also the work. And also I, I couldn't do it. So for four and a half years, I just had to focus on being a mom. And that's what I was doing. But I also started realizing that I was getting increasingly anxious and again, depressed from being at home. I wanted to love it as much as possible. I have friends who are the most fantastic stay-at-home moms and human beings, and they're they're wonderful, and they truly enjoy it to the max. And I kept comparing myself to that and being like, I don't, I don't feel that way. What's wrong with me? <laughs> but then when when I finally had the choice to go back to work, when I finally got my green card and I felt comfortable with, with going back to work, I jumped on the opportunity because I felt that there was something missing in my life. And my theory proved true because now that I'm back to work, I work at a wonderful place. I love working there because they're very flexible with me. And they know that sometimes, you know, If a kid's sick or this or that, you know, I can work from home, which is phenomenal. Um, But it has allowed me to be a person again and be myself again and and contribute in a way that I had not in a long time. And it has given me a reason to actually shower in the morning (laughs) and not wear just yoga pants (laughs) every day. And for me, that was a thing. Like I was starting to get into that horrible drab um, of not having much of a reason other than just, you know, school drop off and school pick up. And that routine had gotten just very tiring for me. And again, I feel that it's a personality thing because I have friends who love it and I have friends who make the best of it and I have friends who thrive on it. I don't. So then now that I have this balance where I go to work, but I'm usually home by four and I see my kids, I'm so excited to see my kids, you know, <laughs> and I'm excited to play with them. Right. It allows you to be your yes. best self, your, the best mom that you yes. can be. And it's funny because I, that's how I grew up. That's the example I had. My mom is a scientist. Um, she's worked her entire life. Like, she was doing her PhD while she had my brother, and then she was doing her postdoc while she had me. So I have that as an example. And my grandma, her mom was the same way. Her mom was a historian, and she worked literally until the day she died. And 
So I have that example. Clearly, it's in me. It's in my genes. Like I need to do something with my life, you know. And that's not to say that child rearing isn't doing something. I honestly, I, I put moms that that like mothers who 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 are amazing moms and 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 stay home with their kids and have the patience and they kind of like they kind of I remember you wrote about this once or, or I don't know if it was a podcast about leaning into motherhood like those moms that are really into it I hold them in a pedestal because I know what that's like I, I know all the work that it is to bring up children it's a lot of work right especially when you're doing it mostly on your own yeah yeah, I have to say that I in early motherhood was that mom that totally loved every single minute of it. I never wanted to be away from my kids. But as time passed, I guess you so I think it's more than just a personality difference because as time passed and my kids have gotten older, I felt like I've I feel like I've needed more and more time away yeah. in order to be my best self. So I feel like on the average day I'm usually working like between 5 and 7 hours a day and that allows me to be a happy, calm, and present mom. And if I didn't have that time, I don't think I'd be my best self. And I think it really is important that everybody finds that window of time. Maybe you need to be away from your kids for 10 hours a day and have a full-time job with a commute and then come home, put them to bed, and you are the best mom you can be in that time that you're with them. And I think that's better than being home for 10 hours and being miserable and being resentful towards your kids. Absolutely. And I also think that it's important to point out that sometimes it can be so daunting to take that first step or so scary to take that first step into going back to work or finding something that works for you. But I highly recommend it, especially because, I mean, I have to say like 100% of my paycheck goes to the nanny and I pay it so happily. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't make a dime. Well, honestly, because I'm privileged and my husband makes up for that other part that pays the bills, right? But it's an investment in myself. You know what I mean? And that's also you know, an important factor that childcare needs to be a little more affordable so then more people can do this because otherwise it's impossible. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your experience raising your children in a country, the U.S., that isn't particularly welcoming to your culture and to Mexican people. So this is this is a touchy subject because when I, when we first came to the U.S., it was not the case. Um, we came to the U.S. when, when people asked us where you're from and you would say Mexico, they would smile and be like, oh, you know, Mexico, I've been to here and here and yeah, and woohoo, you know, it was, it was kind of like a, a, a cool thing, a fun thing. Nowadays, um, I've noticed I've noticed a change when, whenever I tell people I'm from Mexico, I usually get a very awkward or silent reply. Um, it's kind of like, a, oh, <laughs> whereas before it was more of a yay. Um, I will say I, I personally have not to this day had any encounter with any racist comment directed towards me or my children. And I'm thankful that has happened because otherwise that poor person would feel my wrath, <laughs> but <laughs> my full Mexican Latina wrath. 
But <laughs> otherwise, um, it's hard because I guess I have the advantage of having kids that still don't go to grade school yet. So my daughter, Sophia, is five. She's still not in kindergarten. So she still isn't exposed to, I guess, the possibility of someone teasing her because she's Mexican or telling her something that Trump said or telling her something that they saw on the news that Mexicans are rapists or, you know, so. Yeah. I have a friend who had a first grader who was playing Legos at school and one of the other kids built a wall and said, that's for you and your family out of Legos. Oh my God. That would, which is just, I mean, that just like rips me up inside. Like, I don't even have words yes. for that. And it just, it terrifies me of what the next generation is going to look like and the perspectives towards, of our children and towards children like yes, yours, it, 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 who are absolutely through and through Americans. They're through and through. Like, it's funny. They, it, when they speak Spanish, they speak Spanish with this, with an American accent. <laughs> you know, they, they can't even speak Spanish straight. So they're, they're Americans, like their culture is American. And even though, you know, we're Mexicans and we speak Spanish at home and all these things, you know, we're, we're mixed. We're, and I guess to add fuel to the fire, my husband's Jewish. So it's a weird time to be in the U S because, you know, there's, there's all these hate crimes going on, you know, towards Jews, towards Mexicans. And, and it's hard to find, uh, you know, a, a place for, for our fears because, I'm not the I'm not the kind of person that likes to go through life being afraid. Um, I'm sometimes the opposite, uh, but I do sometimes have to acknowledge that my children might be exposed to certain certain bullying or certain comments because of where they're from. Well, not them, but their heritage, um, and it's a scary thing. And I honestly don't know how I'm going to react when that happens. But hopefully, and I'm crossing my fingers, I live in a community and we chose a community on purpose that is not raising um, kids like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be in Chicago. I've never, never felt unwelcome quite the contrary. You know, I've been to all the marches and all the things and I've felt very welcome. Um, but I don't, it, it does scare me. It scares me that in the near future, my children will be picked on for something as silly as their parents being Mexican. Right. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This has been so great to get your view and your thoughts and hear more about your story and your adventure as you've become a mom in the U.S. because we don't make things simple here by any means. (laughs) It's been a challenge, but it has such amazing benefits. And I've learned so much about myself and I've grown in so many ways that I don't think I would have otherwise. You know how it is when you take the rug out of somebody's feet and they have to kind of reinvent themselves and find their strength. I don't think I could have done that if it weren't for being here. So I'm thankful for that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Danae. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Laura. If you have questions or comments, you can leave those in the show notes, simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 147. 
If you want to stay in touch with Simple Families, the best way is to join the email list. You'll get updates with what's going on in the blog, on the podcast, and in the community. To join, go to simplefamilies.com and put your email in the box at the top. As always, thanks for listening.